Hello everyone, I'm Frank Gars with Lean Startup Company, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show. Today's topic is building better learning tools by learning from your customers. And moderating the discussion is our own Lean Startup Company faculty lead, Marilyn Gorman. Our guest is founder and co-owner at Brackets, Chris Coquella. And with that, I'll hand things off to Marilyn. Well, Chris Kakella from Brackets, it is such a pleasure to speak with you today. And your company is such an interesting and innovative opportunity. I, I, I see you working with educators, but I also see you working with budding entrepreneurs and engineers as well. So I know this is not necessarily your formal background. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to create this company, and also how you started to learn about Lean Startup. Which came first, and what was that uh, history looking like? Well, definitely uh, the idea and the, the, the germination of brackets came before learning Lean Startup, but I've, I've benefited from those skills ever since, and I'll tell a little bit about that. But like lots of entrepreneurial stories, it, it came out of a need, a personal need, and that developed from my experience having started a hands-on science program in my kids' elementary school in a gap period uh, between brackets and my prior business, which was a, a technology company. And I, I discovered that there wasn't a lot of hands-on science or engineering going on. Mm -hmm. And then the STEM education movement was, was rapidly growing. Mm -hmm. And I went searching for better engineering toys for my then six-year-old son. And that's really, you know, that's really where it started and, and some iterations on prototypes. Um, and then, you know, lots of, lots of lean startup kind of testing where I would uh, spend time in classrooms and talk to teachers, both teachers I knew well, and of course, teachers I don't know well, uh, so that I get better and better answers, more honest answers and witness what kids could do. And that informed a lot of what I did on launch and informed quite a bit of how, how we grew things and expanded the line and entered other sub-markets. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not sure if, well, first of all, sorry, uh, let's define what STEM and STEAM are for those yes, listeners who, who, no, no, that's fine, who may or yeah. may not know what, what those initials actually stand for. Yeah, STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. Mm -hmm. uh, and since its launch, a lot of people have said, hey, what about creativity? What about mm -hmm. art? What about the, the liberal arts and, and how that can inform uh, innovation mm -hmm. and new ideas? And, and it most definitely does. And so that's grown into STEAM, S-T-E-A-M, A representing arts. I kind of think about that as creativity. Yeah. Uh, the, the creative and the imaginative mind, which is really where disruptive things come from or novel things come from. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, well, thank you for that. You, you also uh, talked about how you spoke to your customers, if you like. You looked at kids, you did ethnographic discovery work, you interviewed teachers, those you knew and those you did not know. And all of that it fits so beautifully into the lean startup model. Was that intuitive or was that also based on what you knew about the lean startup method? Uh, some of it was intuitive. Mm -hmm. the, the scientific method, the idea of posing a hypothesis and collecting evidence to support or, or deny your hypothesis was familiar. I have a science background in uh, physical geography. 
and a social science background in, in economics. Mm -hmm. And so that part came really easily. The, the art of doing a, a discovery interview, uh, I have to say, I am still working hard to do that better. Mm -hmm. And that did not come easily. I think because as humans, you know, and as professionals, we are expected to have answers, mm. expected to make judgments. But those discovery sessions are nothing about your judgments or imposing any sort of pattern or information. It's about inviting others in to offer their world, their story, their problem. And it takes a lot of patience, uh, which I'm certainly challenged in being more patient. But so um, that, was, that was tough. And I continue to hone that. I continue to teach it. Mm -hmm. uh, and and try to try to spread the word because of the value I believe that can come from it. Sure. Oh, I I totally understand. I think the the biggest challenge that many people face in doing customer discovery too is keeping keeping our own bias out of it, where yes. we always risk that we've already fallen in love with a solution or an idea to fix something. And we have to be very careful not to bias the, and you would know this far better than I as a scientist, we can't afford to bias the questions that we're asking or the information that we're collecting. Yeah, you're right on. You're spot on. <laughs> <laughs> if only it were that easy. If um, only, yeah. <laughs> so the, the lean startup approach is built around this idea of build, measure, and learn. And we do that by running experiments and creating change. So tell me how you came to apply build measure learn to building open environment toys i think it just sounds like a great application well yeah it's uh it's and it is a, a brackets is a building and construction toy so there's there's some uh i don't know spiritual alignment here <laughs> uh yeah so you know the way i came about the the build measure learn loop uh, is a couple ways I mean, I'm already familiar with an iterative approach. I have lots of computer programming in my background, managing data and, and various things. So the, the idea of iterating made sense to me. Uh, the idea of taking measurements and, and applying the scientific method made sense to me. Um, but you know, I, I frankly, I didn't really think about it in, in terms of developing a product. I was in love with my solution. Um, but then I, I read The Lean Startup and another book that Eric referenced in, in that. Mm -hmm. And it talked so much about interviewing your customers and focusing on the problem. And of course, I'm in love with my solution, right? I'm an entrepreneur. I gave birth to this idea. I have to love it or I'm never going to make it. But you have to balance that with, okay, set that aside and let's love the problem so mm -hmm. much Mm -hmm. that we're compelled and motivated to extract ourselves from the equation and put the potential customers in front mm -hmm. and, and collect that ethnographic research, right? That scientific unbiased research and, 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 and loop tightly. I think the tighter the loop you can make, the simpler, the smaller the question, mm -hmm. almost seemingly, almost, almost seems dumb. Yeah. But if you do lots of them and you can do them quickly when they're small, then you really build a solid ramp to mm -hmm. what will be a solution that delights customers. Yeah. And again, I think you've, you've hit on a really important point that sometimes people try to put 
we just over-engineer our experiments. We try to put too many things into our tests, and then it becomes hard to know which variable is actually responsible for the success or failure of that experiment. So That's running right. small loops, but multiple loops, can be far more impactful. Yeah, and that avoids, you know, that avoids the, the, the problem of thinking you know the answer, mm -hmm. when in fact you don't. And when you have the confidence in an answer that has a high likelihood of being wrong, the next step is to expend a ton of resources. Your time, time is the most precious by far. Of course. Money, other people's time and money. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and you, you don't get there because, like you said, you had this confusion of variables and really what you had was a maybe, but you thought it was a yes. Mm -hmm. And, and that is, that's, that's dangerous. <laughs> 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 it, it is. <laughs> and I say it that way because I'm trying to say it to myself. Yeah. You know, every time I think I got it, I, I want to interrogate, you know, my conclusions. Mm -hmm. so that when I go forward and spend those, that precious money yeah. or, or potentially miss the mark and have someone else hit the mark because mm -hmm. I missed it. You know, that, that's uncertainty I want to remove from the yeah. equation. Of course. Well, I, I, I absolutely want to get to the asking you about how you validated <laughs> some of your ideas. But before we do that, you know, uh, again, sometimes we see innovators who come up with what they consider to be a fantastic idea, but they apply it to every single customer group they can find, multiple right. segments. And of course, one size fits all is rarely the, the winning. Um, idea. So what was, first of all, the problem that you were trying to solve for when you developed brackets and the, the brackets toys? And, and then once you identified the problem, how did you narrow down initially mm -hmm. the customers that you wanted to approach? Yeah, boy, there's lot, lots of, big, those are big questions. Sure. Um, and the problem that I identified early on from an educational context mm -hmm was uh, really more ha hands-on in general. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I was focused on science, but then you know, I, I honed in on what might be called engineering with brackets, so more hands-on engineering. And in a world of digital devices and this issue of raising children with you know, pocket computers and movies, you know, it's, it's a big challenge and, and the trends are, are concerning. And I wanted to see, you know, how do we get kids off of those to some degree and start playing with their hands? Mm -hmm. I later discovered that spatial play and spatial reasoning is a super strong predictor of uh, degree attainment, math skill development in ages three to four, and, and all kinds of other STEM-related things. Mm -hmm. And so as I then uncovered more about STEM and that being a national problem, even one that the National Science Foundation called a national security issue, wow. because if we don't have that talent within mm -hmm. and people come to get schooled here and leave, then, then we're exporting all of, this, all of this talent and don't have it. Everything mm -hmm. from space exploration to cyber attacks and, and you know, what, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so then that became kind of a, a nationwide problem that I was a part of, which is always nice. So I can ride on the coattails of <laughs> NSF uh, world. And, and, and I went from there looking for people that uh, aligned or had an affinity in, toward that problem. Mm -hmm. And 
one could say generally that teachers, all teachers are that way, and that gets mm -hmm. back to your what kind of one size fits all in the education realm. Well, you know, it's not all teachers. It's certainly not early on. It's certainly not mm -hmm. all teachers, right? You, you need to look for those early adopters. Yeah. When you open your mouth and you say four or five words, they start nodding. <laughs> if they start nodding, then you know you can skip the preamble of yep. convincing them that STEM is a is a is a trend, and, mm -hmm. and go into you know accelerate the conversation. And, and mm -hmm. those are the people that I um, built relationships with, and uh, in odd ways it it informed you know so much that we did. Uh, some of them became curriculum writers. Some of them informed others that then turned into, you know, very large nationwide preschool sales. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and it's very similar to, to a selling process, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're trying to understand the, the world of the customer and in so doing, you, you draw out their desire. Yeah, well, but it also, it's true. And then it also sounds like the fact that you were able to get people to engage with you um, and really almost helped to promote the use of the Brackets products is the validation that you were solving for the right problem. For sure. When people are willing to step up to the plate and, and grab your arm and walk hand in hand in a, in a we situation, right? A co-creative situation mm -hmm. and willing to spend more time and not be paid. Exactly. They're really doing what they say they believe. Right, and, yeah. and they wouldn't stick with you if, if it didn't really hit some mark, right? Mm -hmm. At least a, a close ring to the bullseye. Yeah, and I, and I love that yeah. because so often uh, novices who, uh, to the Lean Startup approach, think the, uh, this idea of an exchange of value is only about money. And I yet know. more often than not, it's, it's about some other kind of behavior that is yes. a strong demonstration of interest and gives you as the innovator and entrepreneur confidence in your product. Absolutely. I, I think it's stronger evidence than money. Yeah. Money is, is a transactional state mm -hmm. and it's a state of relatively low trust if you follow the work of Judith Glazer and conversational mm -hmm. yep. intelligence. Yep. And I think, you know, I think we all wake up and are born with a sense of wanting to care and provide mm -hmm. purpose for us mm -hmm. and those around us. I don't think we would have survived as a species if we hadn't done that. So a monetary exchange to tell me about my product is actually, um, it's, it's minimizing the potential relationship. And I have this discussion quite a bit about, let's go do a focus group. We'll pay everyone $100 and put them in a room. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, two problems. One, don't pay them because if you have to pay them, they're just there for the money exactly. and they're going to try to get out. Yep. There's, there's two dominant people in that room and they're all going to toe the line, right? Mm -hmm. Just socially. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. never get those honest, you know, trusting stories to come out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I know I, I, I agree. And of course, <laughs> uh, the other thing about focus groups is that people don't have any skin in the game. They can say anything they want and walk away with your $100 and probably a donut or two as well. <laughs> right. so, <laughs> it's not, it's not a, a strong way of validating. I'd love for you Great. to also share some stories, though, Chris, about what you've actually seen when you've watched kids and teachers interacting with the Brackets products in the classroom, because I just yeah. think it's another great way of, of really validating through behavior how um, the impact that your 
toys can have. They're not really toys. I hesitate to use that word, but I know that's how they're described on your website. As open they are toys, toys, and we like yeah. to have fun. Yeah, you know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So I think you know your 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 use of the word of ethnographic research mm -hmm. and observation, which is very much a, a fundamental way that you know we we've we've evolved and science is built and all the wonderful conclusions we've made is so relevant today, mm. especially in a world where we, we let computers observe everything. Yeah. And, and I don't think they're quite there yet. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if they'll ever get there, but we'll leave that to the future. Uh, and so the, the best story I have is sitting in a first grade classroom. Uh, you know, I, I uh, brought brackets in, teacher said, yeah, I'll, I'll let them play with it during our, our normal play and mm -hmm. block time. And uh, we let them play and I stayed way in the back corner. You know, I wanted to be a firsthand observer. The teacher and I didn't talk, she went and worked and the kids played and we observed. And two very large uh, sort of conclusions came out of that that have sustained over time. And the, the first one is that um, I think she made, she made the observation mm -hmm. and she came to me and said, you know, usually the kids don't play together. And what had happened is all the kids went off alone and each building their own thing, mm -hmm. right? And we're, young kids are very, you know, self-focused mm -hmm. and they went off and did their own thing. And then when the, the structure got, you know, big enough to be outside of their privacy space, mm -hmm. physically outside of their privacy space and was durable enough that it wasn't going to crumble in mm -hmm. sharing it, two young boys came together to share their creations. Mm -hmm. One of them was a fire station and the other one was like a spaceship on Mars. <laughs> and they, they came together and they said, hey, let's put them together because you need a fire station on Mars and I want my fire station to be on Mars. Oh, how cool is that? And, and they started talking and engaging. And the teacher pointed out two things in education that are really important. Yeah. One is social emotional learning, mm -hmm. and that is building relationships and cooperating mm -hmm. and, and, and collaborating. Mm -hmm. um, and then she also brought up the idea of, of language arts. Yeah. And language and literacy is, has been such a huge priority for this country for so mm -hmm. long, mm -hmm. and is a large part of early learning, as it should be. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, usually language arts is, is reading and writing together, Mm -hmm. but not telling collective stories. Uh, yes. and, and it's hard to get stories out of kids. And so what she was witnessing with these two kids and she interviewed them said, hey, what mm -hmm. about this? And how did you get that idea? Mm -hmm. Obviously a great teacher, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> and, you know, and, and they would go on and on. And so she said, you know, this is something that doesn't happen very often at a young age. It's public speaking, mm -hmm. right? It's the beginnings of public speaking. It's storytelling, it's embracing mm -hmm. language. Mm -hmm. We all kind of understand that the relevance of stories mm -hmm. and communicating things, uh, as well as collaboration, which mm -hmm. is a challenge throughout business mm -hmm. yeah. today. Yeah. Um, you can't just work by yourself. Um, things are too complicated now. Yeah. And so that was, you know, today, still that story gives me goosebumps when I think about it. It was so heartwarming, not because it was my toy, but because it was like, yeah. the experience these people were having. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's a fantastic story. And, and I'll, I'll maybe add a third thing that just tickles me about that story. Yeah. And that is that they started the conversation together by saying, what if? 
Uh-huh. What if, yeah. right? Yeah. So it wasn't about knowing that whatever they did was going to be a guaranteed success. They were just willing to yes. try it out and focus on possibilities rather than in those early stages saying it has to happen this way. It's going to be a probability. And right. again, I think that way of challenging their imagination and just thinking that anything is possible, let's just see what happens. Yes. Again, is, a, is another real testament, I think, to the, the, um, this, the idea of having these open-ended toys and just letting kids discover whatever it is they're going to discover. You, you, are, you are so right. <laughs> I have nothing to add. Fair enough. Well, just sign me up for the sales team. Okay. <laughs> so I know my next question is the one that everybody always loves to hear as well, too, though. And that is talking about failures and some of your early experiments and when did things not go the way that you expected and, and how did you manage to learn from that in a way that didn't discourage you but kept you moving forward? Yeah, well, one of my big early failures in the, in the toy toy world context is mm -hmm. I had this idea to make a, a car track, okay. much like Thomas the Train tracks, sure, out of wood, very sort of classic and fundamental. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wanted to race cars on them. <laughs> you wanted and, to race cars. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to race cars for sure. <laughs> and so I and, and Hot Wheels are cool, right? Yeah. They're all plastic, and it just it lacked some of that wholesomeness. Uh -huh. and, and really nice aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And so I went down this path of making, you know, these, these cut out wood ramps with banks and turns, potentially embedding magnets in them so I could connect them just right yeah. uh, and, and suspend them in certain ways. And I, ha I have an example right up behind me because it, it, A, it's beautiful and I like it, but B, it reminds me of how I've gone wrong. <laughs> and and in the end, the, the, real, the real trouble became uh, the, the cost of goods were just too mm -hmm. darn high. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of the tolerance uh, situations were mm -hmm. too, just too difficult. Mm -hmm. And I even started selling some, and, and the people at the bottom loved them, but you know, they were, the price point was just astronomical. Yeah. And that really knocked me around quite a bit mm -hmm. on the whole concept of margins and cost of goods. Mm -hmm. And I had an academic sense of that. <laughs> and I, I got a real sense of that. Yeah. Um, and that has informed a lot of what has happened in brackets. You know, we, I've, I've worked hard. Our team has worked hard to, to do things in a, you know, that have protective margins. Mm -hmm. uh, and, then, and then tolerances and in, in material interactions have been an ongoing uh, complication, even though the, the product looks really simple, mm -hmm. uh, but be able, being able to look just a couple steps ahead, mm -hmm. not to know the answer, but to know that you don't know some answers coming, Yeah, that you shouldn't just close your eyes and throw money at it and then have it blow up when the container arrives, mm -hmm. right? That is, that keeps me up at night. Okay. And, and yeah. those experiences, you know, fuel those nightmares, but those nightmares also protect you. So, of course, yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> That's um, I'm sure, and, and also learning from your customers, whether those customers are kids or whether the customers are teachers or the sales team or whomever, do you have examples of things you've learned there where maybe you took path A when you should have taken path B? Yeah, great question. Uh, for sure, you know, people have lots of ideas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and 
and people with a lot of influence can have a lot of ideas. What yeah. ifs, right? And that's, yeah. mm -hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but what I've also learned is that just because they have a what if idea, just because they have lots mm -hmm. of experience, domain mm -hmm. experience, money experience, business experience, that is, is just a question. Yeah. Just like anybody else's question. It is mm -hmm. not a better question. It doesn't imply an answer. Mm -hmm. And I have made decisions going, well, okay, if you say so kind of mm -hmm. approach, you, you, you must be right in it, you know, because you, you have the experience. And what I failed to do at that juncture is at least ask, how do you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And the follow on to that is if it's a gut, well, then no, you don't know. And that's a great idea. How can we validate that? Yeah, yeah. It's still a struggle, though, because those in positions of influence, mm -hmm. even though they say, I don't know, and even mm -hmm. though they say, I don't have evidence, often don't want to go collect it, number mm -hmm. one. It mm -hmm. takes discipline. It's, yeah. it's ditch digging, right? Yeah. It's picking mm -hmm. up the shovel. Uh, and because they're of a, of a place of... Um, notoriety, if you will, mm. uh, or elevated status, mm -hmm. uh, they're supposed to have the answer. So mm -hmm. they come back around as though, well, I just know. Yeah. And I'm sorry, you, you <laughs> don't. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I catch myself even doing it. And I say, look, you know, I, I don't really know. This is what I think you should collect evidence. Of course. Let's go collect it together. Of course. And I yeah. think that is just an ongoing slippery spot on the street. Of course. Of course. Well, I think whenever you've got customers, whatever your product or service, the customers can sometimes be so diverse that they all think that their idea is the best yeah. idea to improve it. Mm -hmm. And yet I know from talking to Eric Reese and others, you know, you want to work to the 98%, not the 2%. Right. I've, I've won, my own experience has been to learn how to say, wow, that's a really interesting idea. And we'll take it under advisement and <laughs> yes. then turn around and walk away quickly. <laughs> so yeah. It's a, it's an acknowledgement, but it's not a commitment. Yeah. Yeah. I actually like to write those down and write mm -hmm. down why I might be walking away at this time. Yeah. Leaving open the idea that maybe it will inform something in the future. And then I have a record of it too. Cause I think, I think there's an aspect of, 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 just honoring all of this. Oh, absolutely. And, and honoring I think, it in ourselves and yeah. everywhere we go. And I, uh, I, I, I agree. I agree. And I think coming back to where we started talking about the problem you were trying to solve, mm -hmm. another thing that sometimes helps when people do have a suggestion is to say, help me understand what problem that solves for you. Yeah, how are you experiencing good. it right now? And how often yes. does it happen? And then you're kind of putting them gently back in that place of right. giving you data. Yeah. So that you can decide, is it a once-off or is it something? That is, that's perfect. I, I, I'm going to write that down. Again. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch our thing later. I'm going to remember that one. That was good. That's our exchange of value. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so I came me, out ahead. <laughs> I'm so glad you feel that way, Chris. <laughs> tell me about some of the biggest challenges you face. So now you're running a company. And uh -huh. you've got customers, you've got people working with you, for you, whatever. Um, all these people who have a vested interest in the work that uh -huh. Brackets is doing, what are some of the challenges that you're facing and how are you resolving them? How are you able to, to kind of keep aligned to a common vision? 
Yeah, well, that latter part is, is really important. And I have to admit that I don't think we came to that really early on, establishing mm -hmm. a clear vision mm -hmm. uh, and a clear purpose and following, which is kind of the why, yeah. uh, why we get up to do this, why mm -hmm. we get jazzed. And then the second, you know, to that is mission and core values and cool. some other things that just keep us yeah. on the same track. And because otherwise you wander. Right. Mm -hmm. It, it mm -hmm. doesn't bring everyone back onto that path. And it's an amazing, it's amazing how much difference that that makes. So I wanted yeah. to comment on that. Uh, you know, but one of the one of the big challenges one is still a big challenge in the world of toys and any really cons consumer product good mm -hmm. is that marketing and getting attention and building a brand from the ground up is is oh my gosh <laughs> such <laughs> such a big challenge and it it's in a way it's it's you know in in some ways if you look at it, it you know you could have a great product but no one knows your name and so risk in buying it is high and you you can't turn the megaphone up to 11 all day long whereas you know a bigger toy company or a, a bigger group can Mm -hmm. And so how, you know, how do you build a brand in, a, in, a, in an environment like that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think one, one way to do it, and, and this has played out kind of well in, in the education market, is to, and I think Brian Chesky of Airbnb mm -hmm. talks about this, is to handcraft that experience with mm -hmm. a customer mm -hmm. and, and, and keep doing that until you know it so well and, and then tell that story and then automate that story mm -hmm. and, and build that way. Um, you know, of course, that's kind of a, that ramp doesn't look like this, mm -hmm. right? That ramp looks a little bit more like that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and people don't like flat ramps. <laughs> you know, and investors don't like them. And no, one, no one really likes them, right? It's like, well, how long is this going to take? And... Uh, but I think uh, there's something to be said for sticking with that and yeah. not abandoning it because it is a bit like a snowball. You mm -hmm. get it rolling. It may not be rolling fast, but to get it started again is, is that much harder. Mm -hmm. is, is there anything you would have done differently if you were to start the company again? Is there anything you've learned or wish you had you know, stayed longer with a particular customer group or something like that that... Uh, I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Yeah, sure. But but our listeners learn from the the they're not even mistakes; they're the experiences of others. Yes, for sure. And it almost seems trite to say it, but fo focus is is what I the word I would apply to that. Yeah. And I think it it in in this case it applies to the education market. Mm -hmm. um, you know, came out of education. It, the spirit of it was probably is probably more educational in its open-ended nature than it is specifically consumer mm -hmm. in a world of toys now that are basically buy and throw away or come with lights and mm -hmm. glitter and are models like you talked about. They aren't what if. They mm -hmm. are build this yeah. and then it's gone. Yeah. And and that's a, that's a harder message to get across, whereas I can show it to teachers who buy none of that other stuff for their mm -hmm. classroom. I can spill them out and they go, oh, pick them up. These are neat. Oh, my kids would like these. I mean, I barely have to open, open my mouth. And, 
And that's a short distance to a message. Mm -hmm. Now, teachers may be hard to reach in other ways, mm -hmm. but boy, I don't have to crank the megaphone up to 11 and pay mm -hmm. for that all day long. I can go to a teacher conference, yeah. much less than a digital ad spend, and mm -hmm. talk to 100 of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or talk to the, the buyers for the educational catalogs and so on. And I think, um, you know, we got enamored with, with two markets, uh, consumer mm -hmm. and, and education, just generally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, consumer has the potential to do so much, right? Mm -hmm. Target with 1,800 stores and so on and so forth. You look at those numbers and they shine real brightly. But only if you get them, of course. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> only if you can pull that arm to, uh, on the aisle to pull it down while someone's shopping for milk. Of course. And, and yeah. diapers and everything else at the same time. And yeah. so I, I think uh, potentially having focused on education consistently mm -hmm. uh, early on in, in building that base mm -hmm. uh, uh, is something I would do, do differently. Of course, yeah. No, it, it makes perfect sense. So I think, you know, one of the things I've, I've heard as a theme through our conversation has really been about knowing your customers and, and doing that through customer discovery. So. I understand now your customer discovery is really expanding beyond just customers, let's say, to also include marketing and sales and product development teams. Can you talk a little bit about what that journey's looked like for you as well? And what are the different things you're learning by looking at other segments as well? Yeah, it really came, came from aha moments mm -hmm. of, of doing these customer discoveries and then realizing that the, the pattern of doing that customer discovery to truly understand their problem, uh, particularly in education, because it's more of a business to business mm -hmm. sale, there's, mm -hmm. there's time for a phone call, for example, uh, was, was essentially the same as a real value-based selling process. Mm -hmm. I went through a formal selling process in, in our business to business sales effort to education. I'm like, this is, this is the same. Mm -hmm. My skills here apply directly. Yep. Let's talk about your, your problems, right? Let's mm -hmm. go from an I conversation to a we conversation. And mm -hmm. then we're continually talking. The next step is we have a solution for you. There's no mm -hmm. pressure. Yeah. And, and it, it just naturally went. Of course, that does take time. And then I began to realize, wow, you know, in these conversations, in that pattern of the conversation, that discovery phase, that qualification mm -hmm. phase, was all kinds of other things. Things like uh, copy, right? Fragments of words and phrases that could inform our advertising, that could inform mm -hmm. our product descriptions. Right. Teachers are a culture, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and education is, is local. <laughs> mm -hmm. So now we're talking about people in a zip code that talk and interact in a certain way or in a state, right? Mm -hmm. And states are very much in control of their educational standards, mm -hmm. especially with Common Core and Next Generation Science mm -hmm. Standards and STEM. And they don't, you know, they're, they're very passionate about it as they should be. Mm -hmm. And so that, that allows us to, to position and, and do things slightly differently, that, that yeah. five or 10% in terms of word choice mm -hmm. or standards, and, and they're, they're little things, but you know, if everyone can do the 80% and you can do the 83, mm -hmm. that three is a big deal, of course. right? And, and they, they may never do it because, because of the, the, the difficulty of doing these conversations. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Likewise, it would inform, you know, new product. People would say, what if, like you just said, what if you could have, and sometimes I initially think, oh my gosh, that's crazy. How would we ever make that? Right. I'd squish it mm -hmm. down and I have to stop myself. Um, and you know, we take transcripts or record these things. Great. Which is my new habit. And because you can get tone, you can get excitement, and then mm -hmm. you can't write and, and have mm -hmm. conversations very well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'd write those things down and I, I keep them in just a log book of stuff. Mm -hmm. Then there's the discipline of going back to it because you don't sure. remember all these things. Yeah. But yeah. They, they, would, they would direct us, um, even direct us to customers or other sub-markets. Sure. You know, like we found architecture agencies and engineering agencies, you know, sometimes will buy a bunch of our product and, mm -hmm. you know, and we have to hunker down and go, what, what brought you to that? <laughs> right. You're not an educator. Sure. You don't have that many kids at your office. <laughs> right? <laughs> there's no way there's, there's something else here. So well, we, come back to that question. What problem is it helping you solve? That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, and so just, just the dialogue and the nonlinear nature of where it can go and every person as an intellectual mm -hmm. stakeholder in that dialogue has yeah. something to say and you have to go into it with the faith that that a nugget's going to drop out of course and and yeah. if you go into it thinking i got a checklist mm -hmm. you've imposed a pattern and those nuggets won't fall out and you yeah. will confirm your belief that they don't have anything to say yeah well and, and i think too um as we kind of come to a, a wrap on our conversation you you mentioned that it takes time it does take time and Often when we talk about Lean Startup, we talk about the need uh, to get to learning faster, it's speed to learning. Uh -huh. But often in our enterprises, what we see is, especially if it's an execution-minded or oriented company, speed kind of trumps learning. It's about get it done. Mm -hmm. and, and so how do, you, how do you flip that so that your, you and the, your team understand that it's almost a go slow to go fast environment. If we mm -hmm. don't get these things right early, if we don't do the right discovery, if we don't focus on solving the right problems, we're gonna waste time going down rabbit holes that won't deliver for us. So right. how have you been able to manage that? <laughs> uh, not, not, as well, not as well as I would like. <laughs> okay. I'll avoid poorly, but not as well as I would like. And. I think the, the, the place where I've really found success has mm -hmm. been to say, okay, you don't believe my intellectual argument. Mm -hmm. Fast Trump's, you know, slowing down here yeah. is to say, all right, could we run one experiment? Mm -hmm. Let's pick a topic. And I've had this conversation with other, you know, other execs and other product mm -hmm. development groups. Run an experiment. Let's take this ABC question, right? Mm -hmm. It could be a new product. It could be a variation on a product, whatever. And let's go do 20 or 30 of these conversations unpaid. Mm -hmm. Let's befriend people we don't know at the coffee shop, whatever it is, right? The right environment. So you're not, you're talking to the right people and let's do them. Mm -hmm. And let's see if anything of additional value comes out. I love it. Yeah. And if I can get agreement up front that if that little additional value would be the difference, like one degree, yeah, right? But we're going to do this for 10 years. Mm -hmm. The one degree over 10 years is, is a lot of lost opportunity, yeah. 
right? Maybe you're still successful, but you could have been that much more successful. Yeah. And if they agree to that and we can find one little shiny piece that might say, wow, we've never heard anyone say ABC, right? Mm -hmm. That they need a latch on the side instead of on the front. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And then that's proof, right? That's real proof. It's no longer this academic argument back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. and then convince them that maybe we should explore that line of reasoning with 10 or 15 more interviews mm-hmm. with a new, new kind of bounded frame of reference. Yeah. Uh, what does that really mean, a side latch, right? Because yeah. the person might not have picked up on it in the mm-hmm. original conversation. They might have mm-hmm. blown past it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I listened to Brian Chesky the other day with, with Reed Hoffman, and, and that's what they did. They, they like, slept in people's houses mm-hmm. <laughs> and they asked them, yeah. what do you want? Yeah. And, and, and people would just lay it out for them. Mm-hmm. No cost. You know, they were passionate about it. They had yeah. this, you know, their, their person in the game. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's also a wonderful experience, too. You know, yeah. it's connecting with other people to, yeah. to make someone's life better and better. hopefully many mm-hmm. at large, you know, yeah. and, and of course in capitalism, we, we make a profit in doing so. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, and I think too, one, one point that I would love to make is that when I heard you start to describe this, you said, you know, the conversation is, can we just do this? You know, we talk about consent versus consensus. Mm. Is it just safe to, let's take a chance here. What's the worst right. that could happen? We don't learn anything new. But the best outcome might be that we learn something unique about the need for a latch on the side or something that can direct us in a more impactful direction. Right. So let's just try it. 40 hours, right? 40, 50 hours. (laughs) One person week. One person week. One person week. (laughs) Well, Chris, this has been such a a, a really fascinating conversation. I'm wondering for, for, you know, you said you were, you came from a technology uh, background, you're Uh a scientist, and now you're working in in a completely different world. So any last words of encouragement or advice for people who say, you know, I think I've got something. What do I do with it? Anything that you would encourage our listeners to think about? Yeah, it would really be to embrace that curious beginner's mind like scientists do, Mm -hmm. like the great scientists do. Not think you have answers. Check those, right? Mm -hmm. They'll carry you through. Your passion for the product will carry you through. But go back to that beginner's mind and get curious. Get out of the building put on your shoes, <laughs> leave the buttons behind. They do wonderful things, but this is not a time for automation. Mm-hmm. This is a time for open-ended, trust-building conversations mm-hmm. and, and steering people toward what their world's like. And if you can mm-hmm. improve someone's world, you have the most loyal following ever. And those, and you hear them all, the, these words all quite mm-hmm. frequently. Mm-hmm. But, I, I, they really, they really are true, and they really inform uh, success by reducing uncertainty. Yeah. Well, Chris Coquella from Brackets, thank you so much for taking this time to share your world with us, and I wish you great success for the future. Thank you, Marilyn. It was my pleasure, truly. Yeah, yeah.